so excited about this series and what God has been teaching us and the way he's been growing us and stretching us and inspiring us to dream big and to pray hard. And today we're going to be talking about thinking long, to really be delving deeper into prayer, which is really all about talking to our dad, isn't it? And it's all about deepening our relationship with him. And so um, two weeks ago, Chris uh, Cohn, he preached about dreaming big. Last week, Sylvester preached about praying hard. And then this morning, I'm talking about thinking long. Um, so I think we'd all agree, wouldn't we, that we live in, in an instant kind of world, right? Like we send WhatsApp messages and, um, and text messages. And we love it when we get a response straight away, right? Especially on WhatsApp, when you can see that somebody's read the message and they've not responded yet. Like, what's with that, right? Um, when those likes start coming in straight away, we love that. The other day, I don't post much on Facebook, but it was done in my uh, 10 year, or no, sorry, 11 year anniversary last week. And uh, I put up a picture, 180 likes. That's crazy. I'm, I'm not sure I've ever had that before. But um, so, yeah, that's great, isn't it? And when, um, when we have a question about the world around us, or maybe even the world far away from us, we can just jump onto Google and we can get those answers straight away. And we love this kind of world where everything happens now. And yet, in the Bible, we read time and again that there was a lot of waiting. Abraham and, um, and Sarah, they waited over 25 years to have their son. Noah, he was told to build the ark. Then he actually had to, to plant the trees and then build the ark. And some people say it was between 60 years and 120 years between when he was given that word and when the flood actually came. That's a long time. <laughs> Um, and then there was other people, or then there was obviously there was the Israelites that wandered through the desert for over 40 years and waited even longer for their Messiah to come. But because we're surrounded by these instant t- technologies, it's, easier, it's easy to think about spiritual realities in those terms. Like we want to enter into prayer and then just immediately have answers from God. Or when we're thinking about the plans and purposes that God has for our lives, it's like, why can't we just devote one day of prayer and then like Google, we can just jump on and he'll just give us a download about exactly what that will be. You know, why doesn't God work like that? Why can't I Google him, if you will? And, but that's just not how God works. That's not what we see in the scripture. God often in the Bible talks about things happening in agricultural terms, in farming terms. He, we want things to happen at the speed of light, but he talks about sowing seeds into the ground, watering them, watching them grow, and then over time, fruit coming. And, uh, but it's hard to think like that, isn't it? Because it's easier to be fixated on the now. When our phones are beeping with notifications all the time, it's easy to become preoccupied with the immediate, with the now. And yet, there's, we've, got lots, uh, we've got a long future ahead of us, and it's really important that we spend time investing in the future and looking ahead to the future of our lives, but also kind of what happens beyond our lives. Because we have a long life, right? Like, like I said, sometimes it's easy to be preoccupied with what happens now, but we've got a long life. Most of us will probably live 
probably 60, 70 years, right? That's a long time. And, you know, during that time, we're born, we go to school, maybe at some point we become, or hopefully at some point we become a Christian, maybe we go to university or college, we start working, hopefully we get involved in a church and we start discipling others and investing in others, maybe we get married and have a family, lots of years of work ahead of us, maybe there's a career change at some point and studying a bit more, and then we retire and then we die. But that's a long, it's a long journey, isn't it? And like I said, though, it's easy to become preoccupied with just now because of everything that's kind of feels like it's the immediate. But really, we've got this long future. And actually, our future doesn't end when we die, right? So imagine that those 80 or 70, 60 years, whatever it may be, is this black bit here. And imagine all these ribbons are eternity. Let's hope this works. And they go on and on, hopefully, and on and on and on and on. Suddenly, this doesn't seem so long anymore, does it? Imagine those ribbons go, not just kind of to the door, where you can stop, Senka, that's fine. <laughs> um, but imagine they go out the door, and they go to Kaniki Bible College, and they go up, off, up through the DRC, and up the whole continent of Africa, and they go on and on and on, because that's how eternity is. It stretches on forever. You can just leave those there, Senka, that's fine. I don't know about you, but when I look at this, and I think, oh, how is it that I can be so preoccupied with just what is immediate? when there's all of this ahead of me. Because actually what we do in our short, let's say 70 years, has a profound impact on what happens next. And we know this in terms of salvation. That's what this white ribbon is representing. The decision to follow Jesus, to give our lives wholeheartedly to him, means that we get to live forever with him and worship him and be in perfect relationship with him forever and ever and ever and ever. But imagine these colors here. Imagine that's our legacy. Imagine that's the relationships we've invested in, the prayers that we've prayed, the people that we've discipled, maybe the kids that we've parented, either naturally or just spiritually. Imagine that that's the legacy of our lives that goes on and on and on and on. Now, legacy can be defined as something that's handed on, from generation to generation to generation. So let's say one of these is a relationship that we've built up with our neighbor and we've invested in them and we've loved them. We've shown God's love to them. And maybe over time, with some highs and lows, we've invited them to church and they've come to know Jesus. And then maybe over time, they've led other people to know Jesus. And again, over time, over generations to come, there's a profound impact that happens in people's lives because you went over and you knocked on somebody else's gate and you said, hey, you're new here. You're new to our neighborhood. I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm so-and-so. Do you want to come over for a meal? Do you want to come and, and spend some time together? And like I said, actually, our time here on earth is so short, but we need to invest it well because we have this long legacy that comes after it. Mark Batterson, um, who this series is, is, 
his book, um, he wrote the book, Draw the Circle, and this series is built around it. And uh, he says this, prayer, it changes us. It gives us peripheral vision. It corrects our nearsightedness, so that, that thing where we only see the immediate. And he enables us, God enables us, to see beyond our circumstances, beyond ourselves, and beyond time. And I think one of the beautiful things about um, the Old Testament is that we get to see sort of the long history of time rolled out. And uh, I studied history at university, so I obviously love that. But I love seeing kind of those family stories and the generational stories um, kind of playing out over time and how one, how sort of one family's decisions impact the next generation. And we see that um, throughout the Old Testament, don't we? And we even see again where there's been judges and where there's kings and how again they leave a legacy. Sometimes it's an awesome legacy, sometimes it's not at all. But they leave something for the next generation. And this moment, I, morning, I just want to take a little bit of time and look at the life of Caleb and uh, his, his sort of think-long journey because it was a long one. Um, we're first introduced to Caleb when the Israelites have come out of Egypt and they've, um, they've crossed through the sea and it's time for them to spy out the promised land. And uh, Moses, he gathers some spies and, and Caleb and Joshua are part of that group and they go to the promised land to see what it's like so that they're ready to go. And they see that it's actually an amazing place really, really remarkable. And the Bible, it talks about how the fruit is big and it flows with milk and honey and it's really impressive. However, the people that occupy the land, the Canaanites, are also impressive in size and in number. And so the Israelites, they come back and they say that they, or they, um, amongst themselves, they feel like they look like grasshoppers compared to these large Canaanites. So all of the spies, minus Caleb and Joshua, they feel super discouraged. And they are just, um, they're overtaken by fear. And they end up coming back from this really amazing land with a bad report. They say, yes, the land is awesome, but the people are so big. There's no way that we can do this. There's no way that we can occupy the land, that we can go into battle against these people. And so this news spreads throughout the Israelite camp. And in Numbers 13 and 14, it talks about how the women, they cry all night. And then by morning, the men are like, let's just go back to Egypt. We're, we can't do this. You know, this was a mistake. And Caleb and Joshua, they, they gather the people together. And they're holding on to this promise that's God, that God's given them. And in Numbers 14, verse 7 and 9, it says this, The land that we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. That's very, very, very good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So Joshua and Caleb, they could, they could see the reality of moving into the promised land, even though in their physical eyes, maybe it didn't look like it could be possible, but because they knew their God, they knew Yahweh, they knew that he was bigger than the Canaanites, they knew that they could move forward and they could defeat them. But 
the rest of the Israelites, they couldn't see that. They were disbelieving and they couldn't move forward in faith. And you know what? They didn't even try to enter the promised land. And because of that, God said through Moses that 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 whole generation wouldn't be able to enter the promised land except Caleb and Joshua. And in Deuteronomy 1 verse 36, it says this, Caleb, I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I love that word, wholeheartedly. All of his heart, all of his affections, everything within him was following God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But I think it's really interesting. Caleb and Joshua are given this word when, at the same time, when God's saying to everyone around them, as Chris Cohn and Heidi would say, y'all, you all, y'all are not going to be entering the promised land. And so he's given that word of you're going to go, but the rest of you are not. And so Caleb knows he's going to have to hold on to this promise for a long time. He's given a heads up about that because none of the people around him are actually going to be the people that he's going to go into the promised land with. So Caleb, he had to hold on to this promise for over 40 years. Now, not many of us in this room are actually 40 years, myself included. And so we have no idea what it's like to hold on to a promise for 40 years. But I can imagine that it was very, very hard. But fast forward 45 years, actually, and there, it says this in Joshua 14, verse 6 to 12. It says, the people of Judah came to Joshua Gilgal. So now they're about to move into the, or they're beginning to move into the promised land. Caleb spoke. You'll remember what God said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me back in Kadesh Barnea. I love this. Let's remember what God has said, because obviously Caleb's remembered, right? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of God, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to, to spy out the, world, the land. Sorry. I brought back an honest and accurate report. My companions who went with me discouraged the people, but I stuck to my guns totally with God, my God. That was the day Moses solemnly promised the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, you and your children's forever. Yes, you have lived totally for God, wholeheartedly for God. Now look at me. I love this bit. God has kept me alive as he promised. It's now 45 years since God spoke this word to Moses, years in which Israel has wandered in the wilderness. And here I am today. 85 years old. I'm as strong as I was the day Moses sent me out. I'm as strong as ever in battle, whether coming or going. If God goes with me, I will drive them out just as God said. And I think that's amazing because Caleb's waited on this promise. He sat on that promise for 45 years. And in this passage, I mean, he's bold, isn't he? He's like, I'm going to see this fulfilled. But I just think that that's amazing that after 45 years, he can be so bold to hold, to continue to hold on to the promise of God. And I've been thinking about this this week, or actually in the last few weeks when it's been so hot. Can you imagine wandering in a wilderness in the desert for 45 years with load shedding 24 hours a day? You can't even go to ShopRite to feel some air conditioning. I like to do that these days. 
like, can you imagine? That would be so hard, so hard. And to wait, and then you've you got to do it again the next year. 45 years of that. And, I mean, let's get real. There must have been times when Caleb felt discouraged. And even if he didn't feel discouraged within himself, maybe, you know, he was just fed up with everyone around him grumbling and complaining. Or maybe he did. Maybe there was times where he felt like, man, maybe it is better to go back to Egypt. Maybe they had an equivalent of ShopRite where there was some air con going on in Egypt. I don't know. But it might have looked appealing to go back, right? We can understand that. Or maybe there was times where it was like, no, I'm not going to go back, but I really don't know if this is going to happen. There must have been times over 45 years that that happened. There must have been times where discouragement was knocking around in his head and, and really wanted to take root in his heart. But it says six times in the Bible that Caleb fully followed the Lord, that he was faithful and he was, again, wholehearted in his devotion to God. And I really think that that is what enabled Caleb to hold on to this promise for 45 years. That's what enabled him to be stronger than ever 45 years later. That's what enabled him to have this perseverance. And I don't know about you, but man, I want faith like that. Because, you know, there's, there's a specific promise that I've been circling for about six years now. And there are days when, man, I feel so discouraged because I'm not seeing the breakthrough that, that I want. And instead of feeling kind of encouraged over, over six years, I'm not sure if it's kind of going this way towards discouragement or this way towards encouragement, but I do hope that this, it can do that. You know, that over the years, whether the promise comes to being or not, that I can be more and more and more full of faith because I know the one who's given me that promise and I, that I can be wholehearted in my devotion to him because that's the thing that's going to stir up that perseverance. That's the thing that's going to be able to, th- that's going to enable me to think long, not just to see, oh man, today again, it's not happened, but know that I'm thinking long, that I'm praying long prayers because I know that God's given me these promises. And just to have that relationship that sustains us and that, that deepens our relationship with him. I think that that's so important. Can I have the, the picture of my great-grandma? I know that I've talked about my great-grandma before, earlier this year. Um, but I hope you don't mind if I talk about her again. Uh, for those of you who weren't here um, some months ago when I talked about her, this is my great-grandmother. So my dad's mom's mom. And uh, she lived to the amazing age of 111. She was just shy of her 112th birthday when she died. And uh, she was a very normal, very unassuming, very short, which is surprising because I'm exceedingly tall. But uh, she was an amazing woman of God, just such an incredible woman of prayer and a woman of the word. And uh, she was very fit and very healthy. She loved to walk. She would walk for exercises, miles and miles and miles. She would walk. And one day she was out on her walk, and uh, I was walking into town to get something. I was a teenager, and we, uh, 
our paths crossed. We bumped into each other. And, and she's like, oh, Melissa. She's like, I was praying for you this morning. And she proceeded to give me that word of what she was praying. And, you know, it wasn't just a bless you, Melissa, kind of thing and bless your life. It was a really specific word. Now, I think this is incredible because when she died some years later, she had 122 descendants that came, you know, from her children, her great-grandchildren, and then her great-great-grandchildren. Isn't that amazing? And I think as long as her mind was capable of it, she prayed for each of us every single day. And again, I don't think these were blanket prayers, knowing that encounter that I had with her. And you know, when you pray for somebody like that, that will leave a legacy. Her daughter, my grandma, was also a real woman of God. She was the kind of person that just really knew how to love people and make them feel special. I had lots of cousins, but like somehow I felt like her favorite. But I think we all felt that. Do you know what I mean? Like she just was really good at loving on us and just being so kind to us. And she had a real heart for missions. And her and my grandpa never really went on missions, um, but they always opened up their home to missionaries that were coming back to Canada and needed a a place to stay. And when I was in primary school, our church, we went to the same church, had a missions conference, and uh, she was one of the leaders that was part of that. And I remember there was one afternoon where we were doing some singing and some worship, and we sang that very old song of, I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back. No turning back. And I remember watching her and in my heart giving my life as wholeheartedly as I knew how to God. But I knew in that moment that deciding to follow Jesus wasn't just about that moment because there in front of me was a woman that I watched many days throughout my whole life. I had seen her follow God wholeheartedly. And so I knew that it wasn't just a, I've decided to follow Jesus this afternoon, but I knew that it was a lifelong thing. I knew that it was a thing that was steady and it was a course that I was deciding to take. And my grandma and my great-grandma, or sorry, my grandma, she died when I was 19 and my great-grandma died when I was in my mid-20s. And I never had the chance, I never told them the impact that they had on, their, on my life, which I, I regret. I wish I would have done that. But I do feel like the prayers that they prayed for me are part of my inheritance, that I'm living out part of their legacy because I'm receiving their prayers and the fruit of their prayers. And uh, many of us, we were together um, at the last coffee Sunday at Chris and Heidi's, and uh, Lena and Chris, they were introducing this 40 Days of Prayer, this series. And if you'll remember, Chris, he was asking, is there anyone here that has some big dreams that we can join together and circle? And Dan raised his hands, and he talked about raising literacy levels throughout Zambia. We work with a charity that... Um, This is kind of one of the primary things that we do is we work with education, which is great because this morning we were praying for that. And uh, this is this thing of seeing literacy levels raised in Zambia. This is what us as a team were praying about these days here in Zambia. And some of our colleagues from the UK are here today. And 
we're just crying out to God, like, God, can you empower teachers to better teach children how to read and write? God, can you raise up champions both here in the Copper Belt and around the nation that, will, that are so passionate about seeing children develop these fundamental skills? God, we really, really, really don't want children just to pass up the grades anymore and reach their grade seven tests and guess on them because on the questions because they just don't know really how to read and write. Because knowing how to read and write, being literate, can open so many doors it's fine if Ben stays. Ben, you can stay. Ben, you're good. Um, it, that being literate, it can open so many doors in people's lives. But do you know what? To not be able to read and write can close door after door after door after door. And so we really believe that this is on God's heart. And God is actually opening up doors for us as in our work to partner together with the Zambian government to see teachers trained really well with a literacy program that is incredibly effective and can change children's life. Now, 37 years ago, when I was born, my great-grandma, my grandma, my parents, I know that all of them prayed daily, as long as they could, that they prayed daily that I would faithfully serve God all the days of my life, and that I'd meet a man that I could do that together with. I know that. Now, what they didn't know is that that would, be, that that would bring me to Zambia, where I, where I would actually meet Dan, and that we would work in the sphere of education here. And like I said, our prayer and our passion is to see literacy rates rise up within Zambia. And at the moment, the provincial education officer within the Copper Belt, he would love to see this literacy program rolled out throughout the whole of the Copper Belt. So next year, Dan and our colleague Sheba, they're going to be training uh, various teachers throughout the, the Copper Belt, and we're going to be continuing a pilot program. And if that goes well, in 2021, the government are keen for, uh, for all government schools to adopt this program as the means of teaching English literacy. That means that 50,000 pupils across the Copper Belt will be learning how to read and write English in this, in this program. Isn't that amazing? And I'm not saying that to kind of be like, ooh, look at us, not at all. I'm saying, look at the prayers that my great-grandma prayed and my grandma prayed and my parents prayed because this is legacy that they've left. This is the inheritance that we're receiving and the, hopefully the legacy that we're leaving. And you know what? We don't know. We don't know how much of that we're actually going to see or how much of that is tangible for Dan and I because actually it does take years, years and years to train up thousands and thousands of teachers. But you know what? Maybe a ge generation will be changed. Maybe in some years' time, illiteracy won't even be like a conversation that we're having here in Zambia because literacy levels have been raised up so high that we no longer talk about illiteracy anymore being such an issue. What if? What if our prayers can leave a legacy? And as I was preparing for this morning, I was struck by the thought of like, this all sounds really awesome, doesn't it? You know, my great-grandma praying for me and legacy and that sort of thing. But like I said, you know, there's a promise that I've been circling for six years and sometimes it's really hard to keep praying. Sometimes it's hard to dream big and pray hard and think long. And I think one of the main reasons that that is is because we get discouraged. 
it's hard, isn't it, sometimes? It's not always hard, but sometimes it is. And I think discouragement, it sometimes stops us from dreaming big and praying hard and thinking long. And discouragement, I looked it up, and it's the loss of confidence or enthusiasm for something. It's not having courage and hope anymore. And here's the thing about discouragement is that when it's kind of knocking around in our heads and in our hearts, that it can just seem easier to stop than to keep going. So with a prayer or a promise that we're holding on to, it can be easier, it can feel easier to stop rather than to continue that journey of courage and faith to keep moving forward. But it's so important that we can position ourselves in a place where we can think long and, and see beyond just kind of that, in, that disappointment that maybe that prayer wasn't answered today, but to, hope on, to continue to hope, on to, um, to cling to the hope of what's to come. And just, again, just to remember that our legacy and our prayers, that they might be sown, for a, they might be sown and disappear, actually, for a season, because that's how seeds work, isn't it? We put them into the ground and then we don't see them for a while, but we hope that they will grow. And you know what? There's some prayers that maybe we are sowing at the beginning of our life and maybe they're going to, like Caleb, they're going to come to pass 45 years later. But we got to keep investing. We got to keep going. <laughs>